0: Today, on the Word Preacher Podcast, we will discuss the articles of faith. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. All right. Our come follow me curriculum will bring us to, uh, technically the reading covers official declaration one and two and the articles of faith. We're not really going to talk much about official declaration one or two. Um, they involve changes to policy that were made, uh, by inspired prophets of the Lord that were appropriate for the time. Um, and, we're going to focus on the articles of faith because I think that that is more valuable uh, study. So let's get uh, going with the first article of faith: We believe in God the Eternal Father and in His Son Jesus Christ and in the Holy Ghost. Now there are those outside the church who want to cling to a paradox of three in one and one in three, that somehow simultaneously all three and also one. Now this version of God was essentially a surrender by the leaders of the Catholic faith, failing to reconcile what the scriptures taught about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost with the traditional concept of oneness and monotheism. This article of faith, though, very clear. There are three separate individuals. Now, this doesn't mean that God isn't one. The oneness of God, though, does not come from some sort of physical fusion uh, any more than the three personages of the Godhead come from some kind of multiple personality disorder. That's, That's not where these three personages come from. The unity of God was a more vital principle to emphasize in the ancient world, in which if a particular God did not do what you wanted, you might find favor in the eyes of someone else in the pantheon. Now, even today, there are members of the church who want to emphasize the concept of, say, heavenly mother, not to inform the understanding of the eternal nature of gender and the divine source for the roles of mother and father, but to pretend that one parent might give a more satisfying answer. Now, just as in the Godhead, there is only one way, there's only one answer, and you're not going to manipulate a member of the Godhead to do something that the others would not do otherwise it would be imperfect. So in this way, Jesus Christ is literally the Word of God. He's not going to do anything but that his Father would do. And if we have seen him, it is as though we have seen the Father because of this kind of oneness. All right, the second We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Now, humanity is under the influence of ancient events, covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the fall of Adam has real-world consequences for all the sons of men on the earth. But human beings are not born bad. Now, there's a human nature, a natural man, that has a tendency to be selfish and to not live up to our potential. But simultaneously, there's a reason that God values us, and everyone will get a fair shot. What your parents did is not going to stop you from receiving the love of your Heavenly Father. And his son Jesus Christ. This is sort of the dilemma that King Benjamin was unfolding when he said, On the one hand, you're not even the dust of the earth. Uh, There is an element of natural man that is bad. But on the other hand, God loves the least of these. And when you are in service to your fellow men, you are in the service of God. So there's, there's both sides of that we have literal problems that uh, that mean we need to be humble we should not think of ourselves as great but simultaneously we should understand that we have the potential to be great that god has given us a great potential and that he has invested heavily in our success all right the third We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Now, everything in our faith revolves around the atonement of Jesus Christ. A person does not accept the atonement of Jesus Christ while ignoring his laws and ordinances. Faith is expressed by following him to the best of our ability. Now, of course, that, that means, that does not mean that we can obey enough laws and ordinances that we can qualify for salvation without the atonement of Christ. That's nonsense. We will never get to that point. But simultaneously, how can a person accept Christ while rejecting his laws and ordinances? To accept Christ and qualify for grace, You probably should do what he says. All right, the fourth. We believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is fairly straightforward. Faith, penitence, the ordinances of the gospel, the gate at the head of this straight and narrow path that leads to God, has remained essentially the same from the days of Adam. And you still need it today. You don't get to a point where it's like, well, I no longer need faith and repentance. Or if you do, God is the one that makes that assessment, not us. All right, the fifth... We believe that a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands by those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof. Now, I've heard some people ask, why can't X person have the priesthood? And sometimes this is referring to women generally. Why can't women hold the priesthood? Sometimes it's a particular individual who seems to be a good person and you know, they haven't been ordained or haven't achieved the standards to qualify for ordination, or maybe something in history where a group of people were unable to have the priesthood. Now, regardless of the source, the question comes from a lack of understanding. God must decide who his priests are. In order to qualify for God to give his power, you have to accept who he says are his priests, and you, you don't necessarily get to pick that. While it's absolutely wonderful to live in a time where God has called so many people to be priests, if we stop listening to who God wants to be priests, then what are we doing? I mean, the order of the priesthood is to act as a proxy for God himself by by doing what he would do, in the same way that Jesus Christ humbled himself to do exactly what the Father asked him to do, even though it was uncomprehendably difficult. Now, if we stop listening to who God wants to be priests, then, I mean, any other way, that's not going to God. That's not asking for a blessing. It's demanding that God accepts something. That's not faith. That's not how the priesthood works. That's not service. That's I deserve something. That's not humility. It's pride. Um, Now, it may be difficult to be humble. There may be some things about who God calls that we don't understand. But if you seek God, if you truly are willing to humble yourself, to do what he asks, then you can have faith and confidence that in the end, just like with Adam's transgression, you're going to get what you need. You will have access to all the ordinances and all the priesthood power that you will need to return and live with him. It's a pretty good deal if you do it his way. If you do it some other way, well, it's not a deal at all. The other thing I want to touch on is prophecy, that a man must be called of God by prophecy. Priesthood and organization leaders strive to obtain the gift of prophecy. It's to ensure that men are called of God. Now, this doesn't mean that a calling can't change. Someone may have a circumstance arise and may need to do something different. Or it's possible that a person who is called by prophecy may not uh, live up to the potential, to the opportunity that has been extended to them to fulfill the prophecy. Now, that doesn't mean throw prophecy out. Of course, we still seek the Lord. This is vital because we don't vote. Raising your hand to sustain someone, that's not an election. We aren't campaigning for who's going to have a particular assignment or office. We try to remember the way that the Lord humbled himself to wash the feet of his apostles, remembering that position in the church is less about authority and more about service. All right, sixth, we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. Jesus had it right. Apostles were ordained by him to lead his church. If you've got some other organization, well, I mean, you can have another organization, but Jesus had it right. All right, the seventh. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelations, visions, healings, the interpretation of tongues, and so forth. The Day of Miracles has not ceased. And if you think the day of miracles has ceased, then for you, perhaps it has. But God still has power to do great things among those who have faith in him, including the understanding of languages, the seeing of visions and dreams, to be inspired to know what is right and have testimony, to prophesy, uh, and many other spiritual gifts, all right, the eighth we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. The Bible is a miracle. Sometimes we look at that as far as it's translated correctly and think you know, oh, it's you know not a big deal. It is a miracle. Men gave their lives so that we could have these words. And with these words, Joseph Smith was inspired to seek the Lord in prayer. Now, the Book of Mormon is also a miracle. There are lazy learners out there who try and claim that Joseph made it up, or he just copied the Bible. But if you actually read the book yourself, not just a couple of snippets out of context, you'll see that it is so much more. In fact, it is the best tangible piece of evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was literally resurrected, not just elevated in the eyes of his followers after his death, he was literally resurrected, and that he lives today. Not to mention that the strength that it adds to the claim that Joseph Smith was his prophet. Enemies of the church cannot adequately explain it away, which is why honestly, they rarely talk about the Book of Mormon, or if they do, it's always this tiny out-of-context snippets where they're talking about something that appears to be a quotation of Isaiah or something that seems out of place like horses or something like that, which we have learned after the fact absolutely existed. All right, the ninth. We believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This one is pretty straightforward. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The tenth. We believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the ten tribes, that Zion, the new Jerusalem, will be built upon the American continent, and that Christ will reign personally upon the earth and that the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisical glory. The promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not stop counting when Jesus came. In fact, Jesus' coming was a part of keeping these promises. They will all be fulfilled. Every one of them. God keeps his promises. All right, the eleventh. We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. Now freedom of conscience is vital to our faith. We invite all to come unto Christ with the understanding, just as he himself had, that some will reject him. We uh, allow people to make their own choice, and we strive to choose him. All right, the 12th. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. Now, This one seems to be a little different from the others. I've always thought, you know, this, oh yeah, we're good citizens, which is true. But I think it also means that the solutions to the problems that the world faces are almost never solved with politics. There are exceptions, but as a general rule, Politicians are not solving the big problems that the world faces. So with that in mind, we it doesn't mean don't do anything with politics, but certainly don't pick fights with people. We don't need to start rebellions as much as we need to obey Jesus Christ. That will make more difference than anything else. All right, the 13th, we believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things. We hope all things. We have endured many things and hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. So living our religion is about not just, you know, attending church. It's literally being honest, true, chaste, that we try and be benevolent. We show kindness. We do good to all those around us. We believe that we are all the children of God and that we are seeking truth and goodness It's not enough to say, oh, I'm a part of the true church, therefore I need not seek anything else. Absolutely, we need to continue to improve. And this is one of the great rewarding things that I find about the ministry of President Russell M. Nelson, is that he is constantly seeking, is there a better way that we can follow Jesus, that we can do more of what the Lord wants? And this is something that we should all strive to emulate. Seek for goodness. In the end, Joseph Smith was absolutely a prophet. These articles of faith that he wrote uh, can help us to understand the role of Jesus Christ in our church. It's vital that as members of the church, we know and live our religion. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, there's a lot that we did not cover this week, but uh, next week we will talk about the family a proclamation to the world. So look at that. You may also wish to study in the official declarations and further in the Articles of Faith. And of course, as always, fight on. <music>